This episode is brought to you by DungeonNotebook.com, makers of the Tome of Delving, a hardcover notebook for keeping track of your 5th edition character. It has a place for your stats, your spells, your familiars, your inventory, all the essential things that each class needs, plus plenty of room to write down your adventure. The book comes in an awesome dust jacket and even has a ribbon bookmark so you don't lose your place. Go to DungeonNotebook.com and upgrade your character sheet today. What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class. It's a show where we gather around this podcast table in your ears and we talk about some dungeons and dragons. Each week, we or a listener like you writing into difficultyclass at gmail.com come up with a topic, question, encounter, or anything else really somehow related to RPGs. We have some fun talking about them. I am one of your hosts, Allie Deitchman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. That's right. So let's dive into our topics for this week, starting with our first impressions of D&D's newest book, Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frost Maiden. Bum, bum, bum. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be spoiler free uh, for, for anyone out there that is worried about you know, being a player or anything like that, or even their players listening to this. Um, yeah, we're, we're going to, the, the most we'll get into is the structure of chapter one and two. We're not going to go into any detail about the quests that are in there or anything like that. And we'll be very vague about the things that are to follow those two chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we got a new adventure. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> um, it's no secret that Ali and I like running pre-written adventures Mm -hmm. but we also run you know homebrew stuff from time to time homebrew light um (laughs) and so yeah Allie, what 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 do you think of this book uh Uh, you want to just get get the the main idea out there first yeah so kind of peeking through this book um i i have some some like trepidations about running it because i'm very much a kind of sight read kind of dm where i'm like okay well let's see where this goes um however (laughs) looking through this book i feel like i would not be able to do that i would actually have to kind of sit down and read through it um that's not a bad thing i would just have to adjust myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. um because there's a lot to this book like this book is huge um there's it, not even. Just... I I actually didn't realize how big this book was going to be until it got to my door. Like I took yeah. it out of the box. I'm like, that's a that's a biggin. <laughs> yeah, and the majority of it is a sandbox concept, and so yeah. as a DM, when you're running things, uh, especially if it is down to like a sandbox kind of idea, you really do have to take in consideration about like what your players will probably want to do. Um, yeah, and considering this whole how it's set up the first chapter alone there's like 10 possible places that they can go to and literally the first page of that chapter is just like figure it out (laughs) yeah they're like okay before starting the adventure read the rest of this section and the overview that follows it and a description of each town appears later in this chapter it does tell you you don't need to commit all 10 settlements to memory but that's mostly because they tell you, like, choose a place they start and choose a couple other yeah. places after that. And knowing that information, it kind of helps you narrow down and ease that 
you know, anxiety about memorizing 10 things that you haven't never heard of, probably if you haven't read any of the books, which valid, mm-hmm. very fair. Those. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it seems uh, like a lot to go through at first. But, it does. And yeah. I, I, I will I, say I, it's once you do kind of peek through everything and once you kind of get an, an overall grasp of the book, it starts making more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I mean, like it's a new book and there's, st- I think I'm pretty sure wizards is still trying to figure out how to format their books because <laughs> it feels like every single, uh, like campaign book that they put out is formatted differently. Oh yeah. Like I'm running Baldur's Gate to send to Avernus right now. It is vastly different mm-hmm. in the way that the book is set up. Yeah. So it feels like they're still trying to figure that out, even though they've been doing fifth edition for a bit now. Um, well, like, I, I almost feel like that's okay because I don't think there is a format that would work for every type of story they want to tell. True. But at some point, like, if you're running a system, you kind of want some familiarity so it's easier to get into. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and like, uh, I, I, from what I have seen of the Paizo uh, campaigns, they do seems similarly formatted especially since they are all you know split up into six books that come out over the course of several months Mm -hmm. um so i think there there is almost a a format to the way they do it but again i haven't looked at all of them so there may be some pathfinder player that's or dm that's listening to this and screaming at their phone uh (laughs) (laughs) but uh but yeah like with the D D books they are all very different like this book formatting wise feels closest to tomb of annihilation and strahd yeah um yeah i I agree i i still think one of the most confusing things uh design wise of uh the curse of strahd is the fact that castle ravenloft is the second chapter (laughs) like it gives you a, an intro and everything, and then it's just like, and here's the castle where the bad guy lives. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's it's not in any way kind of like, oh, yeah, they get to, like, this whole new realm. They have no idea what it's about. What's the next chapter? The end game. <laughs> it's not yeah. a, a necessarily chronological order that makes sense, but, yeah. It's... Yeah, the I, I, I think the one thing that could help with these books is if there was like a a, a thing at the beginning that was like, here's a possible way this adventure could go. Like give three ways that, especially when it's sandboxy like this, just give a flow chart of like, here's one way it could happen. Like do the end of clue. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like, yeah, they, they do include flow charts in each of these books, which they're not necessarily, I wouldn't call them flow charts. I would just call it adventure summaries. Yeah. Cause it's a one path kind of chart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like the, 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 there I'm looking at the adventure flow chart page right now. But it literally just goes chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven. It could have just been an adventure summary where to yeah. help the DM because it also explains like what levels they should be generally. And uh, it's just very helpful. Sure. And it gives like a one sentence summary of each chapter. Yeah. Like, again, if you're reading through this book, it's it's good to get a reminder of how things go. But this flowchart seems kind of redundant a little bit. 
because mm-hmm. it's like it's just how the book is set up <laughs> yeah which in its own way that we were mentioning before like Strahd, it's like oh the that that book would really need a flow chart because you probably if yeah. you're a new dm wouldn't know that this chapter two isn't the second thing you're going to <laughs> but the 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 crazy thing with Strahd is that like there there's a mechanic in there that can change where players are meant to go. Mm-hmm. But it, it's still like, I still think that they could give an example of like, okay, let's say that this is the setup for this game. Here's how the, it could run. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that could be more advantageous to newer DMs. Um, and, but even for me, like I, I would love at the beginning of this to just get a real quick idea of how this is going. So I know where, I'm looking in the book and what's connecting to what, because it took me several times looking through this book to understand like, Oh, okay. So this has to do with this and they're supposed to go here after this part, but it's possible that they might not even go there and skip over to this part. Yep. But yeah, so it, it, something like that I think could help. But um, one of the other confusing things to me, well, not uh, confusing is the wrong word. Um, one of the, one of the newer things in this book that, um, I'm not used to seeing, but I understand and I, I, it, it, I, I can't describe this well. So I'm just going to say what it does. Eventually in this book at different chapters, it says, here's what they need to do to get a level. If they have done, uh, these things, they no longer get levels from doing this. Yeah. And that was a new concept, uh, especially since, like, last time we talked about, on the last episode, we talked about Milestone versus XP. And this is something that um, I think helps, but also doesn't help, because it, it it becomes a kind of weird thing where it's like, hey, this thing that you've been doing and getting levels from, you cannot reliably get levels from now. And I don't know how to say that without just metagame-wise outside game just be like hey as a heads up if you guys keep doing these quests you're not gaining any more levels but if you want to keep that. doing them yeah. you can i had to do that with uh storm coming thunder because i told them i'm like mm. okay listen so if you're taking down these giants like you're only if you take down these many you're gonna gain this many levels you're not gonna get more than that and they are all like oh okay because at that point it was like let's just meta this for a hot second because this is a game in the end <laughs> and yeah. you have to and understand where this mechanic is coming from and that's true. And like, that is something that it's weird to see in a book. And I think that's only because, you know, I've been looking at campaign books for 10 years now and I've never seen that before. But when I think about it, I'm like, that's actually really nice because if it was, if you were playing a game that was XP focused, you might have the group where it's just like, well, we're just going to keep doing all of these quests to keep getting the XP and to over level and then take out the big bad the first time we see them. Not and... to mention, like, even if they aren't experience focused, if they're really lore focused, every single town they go to has a problem. And if yeah. they're the sort to fix problems, then they're going to go through all the quests. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I do like that this book has it stated they stop gaining levels after this Mm -hmm. and i think the only reason that is weird is because i've never seen it there before but the more i think about it the more i'm glad it's there because 
in uh in dra- uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, they really only told you level progression at the very beginning when events happen. But anything else that they go through and do, it's not calculated in there. So I got into this rhythm of just like, okay, I'm just not bringing up level advancement at all until I say so. Yeah. Um. And, but there wasn't one where it's like, okay, well they stop gaining levels here. So it it, it I think it's the wording of it where it's just like, I I almost feel like it should be worded like if they do all of this try to transition them into this because they shouldn't gain levels anymore. Otherwise they're going to outpace the story, which is a little worry. So I guess just saying don't do it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about chapter one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're kind of going all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. So chapter one is essentially 10 towns um this is like the number one chapter this is the number one thing that's been talked about on twitter so far because mostly that's what you open your book to is the first chapter right Mm -hmm. um i will say like there are a couple of like contradicting statements between like leveling up that i've personally noticed like it was a Chapter two says they gain a level after spending two or three game sessions exploring Dale, or they gain a level for neutralizing the threats in two or three of the locations, or they gain a level if they accomplish an extraordinary feat. It's like, okay. But then like character advancement, they advance to the second level after completing their first quest. They advance to the third level after completing three quests. It's like, oh. Uh, yeah. Hang on. The, so, so the the... I think the main thing, like, if you listen to last week's Previously On, by the way, there's going to be a new Previously On tomorrow, um, <laughs> you you heard us talk about the how deadly the adventure that Allie ran with her group was. And again, we're not going to go into spoilers for that one. If you want to hear about that, go check out the last uh, Previously mm-hmm. On. Um, but the, the thing is, though, is that, like, when I sat down and looked at this and, and read through, I'm like, oh. This starting adventure, like you, it's it says starting adventure, and it has the the name of it and gives you the detail of it. I'm like, it takes you to several towns, but I think the book assumes that this is the only quest that they are going to be presented with for the beginning part. Once they finish this first one, they get that second level, and the rest of these quests, be uh, their their threat level comes down. But it doesn't do a great job outside of just calling it starting quest to do that because before we get to that starting quest it says hey pick a town and there's adventures in there and if you can't pick a town just roll a d8 and then or d10 and then that's the one you go to and here's the quest associated with it it doesn't say okay pick a town but start with this quest seriously see they do Uh, say um in part of the running this chapter section it's like okay once they have everything created, like kick off the adventure by reading the box text in the cold open, which essentially just here's the story. And then yep. they say, give the players a starting quest, which is the one of two starting quests they offer, or use the quest that's tied to the adventure's starting town. Oh, wow. So you can use either or. Um, and yeah. the way I did it was I did both. I gave them the the start of the quest of one of the two starting quests, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But then they also did the quest that was in the town they started in. Yeah. And so they the, finished that before they finished the actual starting quest. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and and I and if I was to like give advice on this, even though I haven't run it myself, I would say just do one of the starting quests seriously. Um, oh, I, I would I, recommend it, just doing the nature spirits starting quest. Yeah, well, I, yeah, uh, which whichever whichever one works better for you. But the thing is, though, is that while these adventures in the town are deadly for a first level group, I actually really think that's okay. Uh, because this book is deadly in more than a few ways, and I and I kind of like that the book is presenting it even at first level. Like, hey, we're not messing around. You shouldn't try to fight everything as soon as you see it. What your again, no spoilers, but what your players did in your uh, game was really good, and I think for a new group would be a good learning experience. The thing is, and... is that I 100% agree that it should be deadly, like in certain, especially in this kind of flavor of a book. Yeah. But I just wish that they told you it was straight up. Instead I get of that. you having to like fish through the quest and learning like what CR things are and how difficult things would turn out to be. Or instead of straight yeah. up, one person mock ran an entire quest to see how difficult it would be. And they're like, okay, no, this is possible. So it's like, yeah. I feel like the, if the, they just said as part of the, because every single town has a, uh, like, Bremen in a nutshell. They tell you everything about it. If they just said, available quest, lake monster, page this, appropriate for level this. Yeah. I think that would be way I think that would easier. Be good. Yeah, but they didn't. And so it's like, if you are but, running this kind of blind without going in too hard. But at it, the same time, though, up. like, we, we've seen stuff like this in the books before like tomb of annihilation like you look at that chart of possible encounters and there is some deadly ass shit in there for any level almost <laughs> and, the, mm-hmm. and the same comes into play in this book in chapter two um i do agree that i i think that they they should have given some kind of warning to new dms and whatnot because as I'm, i'll just say this right now i do not recommend this book for a new dm not i just right don't now, no not no. until I read um, for it more, no. Uh, but I also don't think that is a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. I I do think that there should be... that. I don't think that every single book should uh, be made for you know it to be easy and whatnot. I like the fact that there are more deadly ones. However, with that... Uh, you know, that, that danger comes the, the need for you to have played through a bit of the game and to understand things and know when to take stuff out, put stuff in and stuff like that. Um, And that's something you get just through playing the game. If you wanted to go crazy and like, you know, dive into the deep end. Yeah, sure. Like this, go ahead. Uh, But I, I do highly recommend really reading through everything um, and looking at the numbers of what, they're coming up against so you know how to run that instead of just being like and there's this thing uh it's in front of you uh it, it looks angry something and then that they i go, try and go fight it and get instant killed yeah something that i will give uh the writers of this book is that if you ask a question if you ask why for anything the answer is in the book yeah the answer is yeah. it's just the difficulty of finding that answer is a little tough especially if you're not used to D books themselves um but like why is this winter happening for the past three years it's like oh, okay well there's an answer 
And so if your mm-hmm. players are asking these kind of questions, you as the DM can answer it by looking in the book. And yeah. I, I really appreciate that the writers really went into it and were able to answer things. Like I was just going over like, okay, well, it's within chapter uh, like six, why are they there? And I was looking through and it took a little bit of digging, but I was able to figure it out without having to read mm-hmm. the entire book. And yeah. I think that's, one of the definite positives is that if there's any kind of answer, you can find it in this book. Yeah. Like I, I think really when it gets down to it, the biggest complaint I have about this book is formatting. Other than that, I really do like this adventure. Like uh, you asked me before the show and I, and I kind of like the idea of like having it be a thing on the first impressions of like on a scale of one to 10, one being get this book away from me. I never want to run it and two <laughs> and 10. I need to run it right freaking now. I would honestly put this at a seven. Like mm-hmm. it, it's um, it's not something that I'm going to rush through descent into Avernus to get to, but it is something that I'm already planning to take things from to put into my game because I think they're really cool ideas and really fun things to happen that I want to see how my players react to and try to stop. Yeah. No, I, I a hundred percent. I'm, I'm with you on that. What, what about you? What, 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 what number are you on that scale? I would probably give it just like one less, like a, around a six or so because I'm not like, mm-hmm. It's definitely going to be on my shelf next to the other books that I have planned of running and everything like that. But I think I would run like a bonus <laughs> before I tried to go after this one. Um, mm-hmm. Simply because I I know that content more, like the idea of the Nine Hells and everything like that, because I yeah. just, I'm more interested in that versus yeah. Icewind Dale. But like Spencer, who has so, read a lot of the of... Drist books, he's oh, yeah. really interested in playing this one. I will tell you this, there are references to some things from those books, and I, like, I, I saw them, and, like, for a moment, I was like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting that. And then I was like, wait, why wasn't I expecting that? It's their property. Why wouldn't they do that? <laughs> yeah. So that that was so, kind of cool to see. Mm-hmm. Like, my only connection to Icewind Dale and Ten Towns is playing the Neverwinter MMO, and, like, I do have some heartfelt moments and strings tied to these places, but not mm-hmm. in any way related to this story. Yeah. So it's like, uh, well, yeah. I'm okay with, I'm interested in running it simply because like we mentioned before, when it was like announced, it is taking more of a peek of like the horror aspect of things. And even just kind of looking through some of the starting quests too, there is certainly an aspect of this is scary. Like this isn't meant to like, be I- like, Okay, but it's like supposed to kind of freak you out. I yeah, like I I do think that there are horror elements in here, but I I think the 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 thing more about it is the the just the danger of everything of nature of mm-hmm. all of that stuff with a lot of fantastical things in there as well. Uh, there's definitely threats in here that are not natural. No. <laughs> um, yeah. But like the the. There, there are several enemies in here that it is straight up just like, there is no time to talk with it. It will just attack to kill. Yeah. And... I will say I've, I've already seen several of that through here. And I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. <laughs> like, I like, I, I, I like it in, in the fact that like most of the time when I do run things, I do give a chance to talk and stuff like that. So the having something that is just this you know entity of uh, of like uh, 
anger and violence and going straight at it is terrifying in its own way that isn't just, you know, you know, the the gore thoughts of horror and stuff. It's just mm-hmm. like, I can't contend with this uh, unless I am putting up defense. Yeah. Um, it, it's because, like, I do know that there's a lot of stuff like that in D&D. Um, I don't generally put that stuff in there because um, I like having the variety of everything. But because I don't do that all the time, having this as the time that I would, I think, would make that scene more... Uh, um, dangerous and more and a little more scary for my players. It would set the tone apart from what you've done so far. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which would kind of lend itself to its own aesthetic of what they're trying to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like in the end, that's kind of what this book is. It's not about the horror aspects of it. It is about the concept of isolation and nature really mm-hmm. fucking you over and you not having any control <laughs> of that. Yeah. Which I mean, like totally not relatable at all. In today's day and age, no, nope, <laughs> the West Coast isn't on fire. We're fine. Yeah, no, no, fine. <laughs> so you know, it's like this book is. It feels appropriate for this year, oddly enough. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and that's I, that's one of the reasons why I'm definitely intrigued about reading through it. I will say, if if you are not interested in the 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 book itself. One thing I will recommend doing is at least going on D and D Beyond and buying the the best the bestiary part of it, like the monsters and stuff. There are fifty there are pages. Some, <laughs> there are so many cool monsters in here, and in, in monsters in ways that you might not be expecting. And I I think you could have a, a lot of fun just reading through those. Yeah, no, that's it's very um, fair. I, I yeah, so I, I recommend doing that. Um couple like last little point things. Uh the maps in here are beautiful and stunning. I am sad that they the, there aren't any Dyson logos ones because you all know how much I love that art style. <laughs> but the level of detail and the the just the art style of all of it is beautiful and I love it. One complaint that Allie and I did have is that Icewind Dale itself is a map on half a page. So yeah. it takes up the top half and then there's text underneath it. Meanwhile, a map later on in the book, which is a more zoomed in on an area, takes up a full two page spread. So that was a little confusing in direction there, especially since with the Icewind Dale map, both Allie and I, who wear glasses, had to squint and get closer to read a few things. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. Um, if you have any kind of trouble reading small print, you're going to need a magnifying glass. Yes. And that... That is a that's a big complaint I have for that map. Uh, Not to mention its location. For several reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's on yeah, page no, like, one hundred and thirteen in the middle of the intro. It's at like at the end of the intro of chapter two, and I'm like, they already have gone through a lot of the area in Ten Towns. Why is the map all the well, way back here? here? <laughs> here's another confusing one. Um, it's eleven pages into the chapter that it's the title of. Yeah. <laughs> So it, it's 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 little stuff like that that is that's confusing again for formatting wise and uh, disappointing of the size of the map purely for accessibility reasons. Um, yeah. And I now it does come with a poster fold out map of Icewind Dale and it's huge and I love it. Um, yeah, it's really I actually looked at it. I'm just like, do I have a room that I could put this up in? Um, <laughs> 
And so to see it just be reserved to half a page, 11 pages into its chapter is disappointing. Yeah. Um, but overall, I like the book. I'm glad it's here. I'm going to definitely use stuff from it. And overall, I'm happy with this year's adventure. How about you? Yeah. I mean, like, overall, there's, like, I think someone mentioned there's, like, 60 mini side quests that you could take in this adventure or something mm -hmm. crazy like that. And that alone is worth it to take. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, who I, I, needs if, if a you, book of if encounters you just... if you have this? Yeah. If, if you are someone who just loves quests, you need to have quests, you love reading quests, this is your jam. Mm -hmm. Like, even if you don't run stuff in Faerun, there is stuff in here that you can take and put other places. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the reasons why people really liked Wildmount was because wherever they went, there was a quest kind of option available. Yeah. However, the downside to that was because there were so many places, they didn't really go into the quest. Well, here, mm -hmm. every single one of these quests they go into... <laughs> So yeah. it's like you you get a more in depth about that, and yeah, I I, I enjoy that concept. Absolutely. Well, I think that's going to do it for our first impressions. Yeah. Have we, you got any last points you want to say? No. Um, I really <laughs> like the alternate art. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. You got the alternate. I, I got I the I got the normal one. She got the alternate art mm, one. It's so shiny. Uh, <laughs> it's so shiny. Um, but yeah. So that's uh, that's our first impressions. Let us know what you think if you're reading through this or if you haven't even gotten it yet and you're still on the fence about it. Uh, send those into difficultyclass at gmail.com. We'd be happy to talk with you about it. Mm -hmm. But let's take a break in the show to do our usual segment, starting with Champion's Loot. Yay. This is the part of the show where we give you a code for a gold chest put in on Idle Champions on any of the numerous platforms they're available on. Get some loot and kick some evil's butt. So this week's code is L-E-I-R-O-H-I-A-W-E-K-A. Put that code in, get some gold chest, or get eight gold chest, get some loot, kick evil's butt, and <laughs> keep celebrating the three-year anniversary of Idle Champions. Uh, I got I, I got those chests, I got the skin, I'm so happy. Dude, I am kicking, I, I got an, I got a hand-me-down iPad this week, <gasps> and nice. it has just become an Idle Champions machine. It's literally <laughs> been sitting on my coffee table, running Idle Champions oh, for like man. 10 hours a day. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's really nice. <laughs> I know. I'm very happy. I'm I'm kicking butt on some levels now. I'm 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 making progress that I had to redo when I switched platforms. Um, but uh, <laughs> real quick. So yeah, have you played Among Us yet? This this has nothing to do with D and D. But have you have you played that game? I have it downloaded. I'm going to play it eventually. <laughs> we my friends group has really gotten into it and we'll we'll all hop on uh, PlayStation chat while we have our phones and play it and every time we get into a new room where we make a new private room they uh they have they're like all right Trevor re read out the uh read out the room code since you are the code reading man because, <laughs> because I read out the idol champions codes every week they're just like you, you already know what to do you know how to uh, paste the the letters and everything you're fine so <laughs> that's what I've been reserved to now um Next uh, part in our break is our DC Spotlight, and this one we are going to have relevant for Icewind Dale. So, this week's uh, DC Spotlight is the Icewind Dale Complete Bundle. Uh, this is on DM's Guild, and it includes uh, a notice board, uh, strange encounters, and a tome of adventures. Each one of these is its own separate uh, um 
book, uh, and this is just a collection of all of them. The collection is eighteen ninety five, uh, but you can get each one of these for about five dollars each if you want. Uh, one of them's ten dollars. Uh, but they have a bunch of extra things to put uh, in both Rime of the Frostmaiden and Storm King's Thunder, since there are things that take place in Icewind Dale there as well. Um, uh, the uh, supplement is written by uh, Christian Eichhorn, and it looks fantastic. Like uh, the, looking at the previews and stuff, these notice boards are full, uh, full done art with like the the board outline and mm-hmm. all of the things on there and whatnot. But uh, th- this looks like an awesome thing if you want to do an Icewind Dale campaign and keep it going for longer than what is in this book, which, as we already said, is a beast. Yeah. Um, so I-, I fully think that this is a-, a great supplement to help you out with your game. E- and uh, like I said, either Rhyme of the Frostman or Storm King's Thunder, which I think is a really fun thing to do with your supplements. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, like, take it for someone who did run Storm King's Thunder. Having more options <laughs> while you're up in the north would be really good. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they they have their own characters. They have their own art. They have their own maps. It is uh, – it, it's fantastic. I, I'm, I'm in love with this thing. If I end up doing Rhyme of the Frostman as its full campaign, I'm 100% picking this up because the these look invaluable or I, I I never understood how to say that one anywho it is a uh, very worth your time to check this out uh so we'll tweet those out on our normal channels but uh once again it's the Icewind Dale complete bundle by Christian Icorn check it out um last thing we're gonna do before uh we get back in, or we get into our second topic is just a reminder that we launched a second show called previously on uh right now it's doing really good listens wise thank you everyone for uh checking out that first episode yeah. we're going to try and keep these going every saturday um heard good uh things about adding in the sound effects so i'm, I'm <laughs> glad about that because i wasn't sure if people were gonna like it um yeah uh, but Trevor. we <laughs> well uh, I used uh, Sirenscape to to do that, so I highly recommend checking those uh, that that group out. The sound effects are so much fun to go through and find things that just fit every little thing that we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so we're going to have another episode going up tomorrow on Saturday, and hopefully going up every Saturday from here on out. But we'll see what happens as, you know, if we don't have a game, you know, we might tell an old story or we might just skip an episode. I'm we'll so g- excited to take notes for tonight's game for that exact reason. Dude, <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about freaking last night's game. It was insane. <laughs> uh, it's so much fun because uh, I, I'm I, again, we're, we do the, you know, the uh, homebrew lights. I'm using Descent into Avernus stuff, but throwing in a lot of my own stuff now mm-hmm. to foreshadow later events. So it's it's, it's going to be fun. Check those out. They're going up every Saturday morning. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening. But let's get into our second topic now, which is uh, actually a listener suggested one. Our uh, listener, Aaron, who uh, sends awesome little emails here and there. And we have fun discussions about me writing Star Wars fan fiction <laughs> or her letting Spencer know when critical role stuff shows up on sci-fi channel um <laughs> so <laughs> this one is going to be about starting adventures at higher levels mm-hmm. uh which i think is a really good topic and one that i can't believe we didn't think about doing previously um because we've both done this oh yeah uh to actually good success um so where where you want to start on this one so Aaron specifically kind of brought up about starting at level one versus starting at level three. And mm-hmm. I think we can talk about that first. 
about how okay um when would be a good time to do that so to speak and if you should yeah i like for a long time i just kind of operated under the thing of like if you have an experienced group i start you at level three Mm -hmm. um and i mean both you and i have said because level three is where the fun stuff is yeah for Uh, like 80% 80% of the classes, <laughs> it feels like they get mm-hmm. most of their good stuff at level three. Um, Whereas, yeah. like, that's not true for, like I mentioned, it's not 100% of the classes, but uh, especially for ones that are a little more complicated, they don't actually get mm-hmm. complicated and fun, quote, to play until <laughs> level three. Because yeah. until then, you're just kind of like a weak balloon. <laughs> <laughs> You don't have much going about you, and you're easily popped. I'm just, yeah, I'm just imagining now, like like Clark and the the beginning of uh, uh, Lost Minds of Vendelver just poking the wizard with a pin. And just, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, this like you know, they're they're fun, away. but like you know, you yeah. can have more fun. <laughs> yeah, but the the thing for me, like. So, you know, I, I, that's how I operated for a really long time. But when I started Descent to Avernus at the beginning of this year um, with a group who has played D&D quite a bit, um, I started them at level one. And I think the reason I did that is because I wanted those few levels of, oh, crap, I got hit. I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that, those levels of vulnerability. So, yeah. Um but but the thing is, though, is I don't keep them there very long. Like, yeah. we did the first session where they were level one, and I went, cool, good stuff. You're level two now. Yeah, it's I like to call it the, the contrast levels. It's so that way you have something to compare and contrast to when you're actually, like, mm-hmm. a stronger character. Because if you yeah. go into a campaign at level three, like, your concept of how strong, like, your everyday civilian is compared to you is already super skewed because at this starting point, literally every NPC is going to be weaker than you if you're starting at yeah. level three. Whereas, like, if you start at level one, the everyday man can still kind of kick your ass a little bit if they roll well. <laughs> so yeah. there's, like, the level, starting at level one, I like to have, even for experienced players, um, simply for that concept of, setting the contrast tone like getting Mm -hmm. them to understand that yeah you you started from this started at the bottom and now we're here right (laughs) um but you you mentioned when you were saying that like experienced players and and i will i will say yeah because how many times have i played levels one through three starting like an adventure and then we stopped playing that adventure and then we started a new adventure played one through three and then so many times and so at that point Mm -hmm. like we're like marcos just started a campaign not just but it was like a couple months ago for wild mount all of us have played one through three so many times (laughs) and it's like at that point because of how dnd's class system is set up you don't necessarily get to customize your character until about level three or four Mm -hmm. and so we didn't really feel like we were actually playing our characters and so marcos was like nah screw it let's just everyone level up to this so that way you could actually feel like we're playing our characters by that point and 100 it made a huge difference because we went from like just getting through the notions to like actually playing our characters and it felt that way too yeah but again that's for us who have played levels one through three so many times it felt like we were just doing the same thing we've already done so far 
Yeah. Like uh, my level one cleric of like of the Raven Queen, so to speak, has the same exact kind of feel as like a level one cleric of Sune, where it's like there's not much too different about these characters right now. <laughs> when can mm-hmm. I when can I make them something different? And so it's like it gets it gets a little tiring. But if you're not an experienced player, those beginning levels are so nice. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, uh, my friend Taylor, who's in my Neverwinter group, she started playing D&D with us when we were already level five. Mm. And so she's, I remember her telling me, like, just recently how that really affected her being able to learn her character. Because it also didn't help that she didn't necessarily build her own character either, because wouldn't you know it? She's brand new to the game, and we're like... Do you want in the game? She's like, yeah. It's like, what kind of character do you want? She's like, I don't know what that means. And so <laughs> uh, one of our friends kind of helped build it for her. So she's sitting there at the table, not knowing how to play the game really, and also not knowing how her character works. And so starting at like a level five where you already have all these abilities and options when it comes to your turn, it's a little daunting. Whereas if mm-hmm. she started with level one, she would kind of be leaned into these options and she would have a chance to sit down with her abilities and learn them. This is what I was talking about um, last week with the milestone XP thing Mm -hmm. is that I do think that you need time to understand the things that you just got, even if it's just a plus one bonus to something, because now you need to know, okay, I'm better at doing this now than I was before, so I can go more confidently into those things. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the funny thing that I realized while you were talking is I, I understand for you for, for you and uh, your friends because you guys have played multiple uh, campaign your starter campaigns and gone from one to three. But I was just thinking about when we did Spencer's uh, uh, Tyranny of Dragons game at the beginning, I was actually really pumped to be level one. Mm-hmm. And... Because I I don't get to be a player that often, um, but I do think the thing that changed that that feel of not being able to really do anything cool is because Spencer allowed the uh, a feat at first level, no matter what you are. Yeah, I like, really think that that is what can change up that excitement at level one, especially for experienced players who have done that. Like, yeah, just getting that option to further customize your character to make it feel more than every other level one character you've played Mm -hmm. that really sets that character apart and it makes you feel like you're already playing your D and D game, how you want to play. Yeah. Yeah. I like, um, cause, cause that's the thing that I've been doing in RPGs for a while now is starting with a feat at level one. Um, actually what's funny. The first time I did that was in golden pals and I retroactively did that when they were third level. I was like, you know what? I want all of you guys to take a feat. I know you're going to get one next level or whatever, or you have the option to, but I want you all to take a feat because I think it will add to what you guys are wanting to do. I love that. Um, yeah. Um, and, and I've had a lot of good success with that. And really, like now that I'm thinking about it, because I do that, I actually think that I wouldn't start campaigns now at level three mm-hmm. unless there was a reason for it. Like what we'll get into here, here in a moment. Um, but, um, I don't think that starting later on is a bad thing at all. Like if you just want to get into it, if you have a group that knows what they want to do, they know the group dynamic, they know all this stuff. Yeah. 
bump them up, whatever. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. Like, the only hesitation I have as far as starting low levels is if you've never played that class before, or, like, if you mm, yeah. are new to D&D in general, or if your DM oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't experienced and are starting out, and they don't know yeah. all the classes and their abilities. Because it's not, when you level up and you spend time in that level, it's not just for the player, it's also for the DM. Because, mm-hmm. like, when that rogue gets the bonus action ability to be able to hide, <laughs> dodge, or dash... That's a whole new level of tactics for the DM that they have to get used to. Yes. And that's so, a really good point. Yeah. So it's like you being at those beginning levels helps ease the DM into it as well. And yeah. so no, if people start at like a higher level, like at seven or something like that in a new campaign. Um, and I'm talking about like homebrew campaign. We're not talking. We're going we're gonna to talk about, I think, campaign books later. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um. Like, that can really throw a DM for a loop, and especially, like, probably for, like, the first, like, four sessions, they'd be like, wait, what can you do? <laughs> and the person will either look back and then Heck, say, like, I still this, do that. I just read it. Or they'll be like, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I remember very clearly, uh, it was for uh, Evan's going away party, I think. We ran a, you ran a level 20 mission that was under the water. Was it level 20? It oh was level God. 20. And so we all came in with level 20 characters and we all had abilities that none of us really knew. (laughs) And on top of that, we all came into a situation of no one else knew anyone other, anyone else's abilities. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a lot. Um, Granted, because we all had played D&D before, we were able to really handle it. But yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah. Starting at a higher level sometimes can be really intimidating for not just the player, but the DM. And there was a time we were in a level 20 uh, encounter for the bookstore where we just had random people yes. we didn't know. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but yeah, what, what I wanted to talk about uh, here, here at the end of it was um, doing, basically doing what you and I have done where we have a higher level party and we introduce them into a new pre-written campaign book. Mm-hmm. Um, which... I think it's something that most people have a hesitation towards doing, but I think is actually really fun to do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, we've talked about how to beef up things on the fly and how to, like, worry about your encounters and level things out as they're going. But, like, Mm -hmm. if you're starting people at level, like what I did, for example, if you're starting Star King's Thunder at level 10, have a read through that book because Storm King's Thunder is meant to not be fought. However, if they're level 10, they can yeah. do the fighting. And you don't have to change anything at all. It's brilliant. But that's a different story. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, if you're well, like, going into, like, Descent into Avernus, it, you can mm-hmm. easily tweak certain things about creatures on the fly if you feel like it's either too hard or too easy. And you could also plan ahead knowing, like, okay, this is where their levels are at. I want it to be difficult, but I don't want to murder everyone i want the higher levels yeah. to be able to help out it's like it it's it's literally been as easy as for me as taking a creature who is a cr level equal to my higher players or above and adding them to the group of creatures that are already in the book like mm-hmm. there's a part um later on in the beginning where it's like, oh, they're supposed to, uh, a, uh, there's bearded devils that show up. And I went, all right, well, those guys will be a pretty easy, 
uh, sweep through for these guys. I'm just going to add a horn devil to that group yeah. as well. And that's all I did. I just popped them in there and it was a, it was a fight that had a, a little bit more stakes to it. Um, and, but they overcame it and it was done. But then in another one that, I mean, that encounter was months ago now. Uh, but like last week or so I had an encounter where, um, there were five bearded devils chilling in this place and I didn't care what the outcome was because I, I knew how they were going to get the information from it. So I just left them there like that Mm -hmm. and they rolled up they got the info they did some funny things and then they left and i was like that was fine i didn't need to beef it up at all i didn't need to make it more threatening because that wasn't the point of it yeah i mean like that's a great point to remember when you are running prudent campaigns is that the tone can shift if depending on what level they are like Mm -hmm. three kobolds in a room uh can be a actual kind of threat for level one players but if there's three kobolds in a room and they're level four it's like, well, this encounter is suddenly very different. They can go about this mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. And as a DM, that's like up to you to kind of think about it and think, okay, how do I want this room to go down? Do I want them to just kind of like plow through it or do I want them to still have like a challenge, so to speak? And so you can consider it in different ways. You can add a more difficult monster like, oh, sure, there's three kobolds, but there is also a hobgoblin like warlord behind there who's just getting snacks. It's like... like- <laughs> Like thinking about it, like it, three kobolds at the Golden Pals level one would have been weapons drawn, ready for a fight. Three kobolds right now is Uthal walking up, picking one up, not caring if it bites him, and going, "Look how cute it is!" Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes when you're running pre-run campaigns, it's just fun to not change anything at all. <laughs> yes, see what I the actually do, do with really it. recommend that. Mm-hmm. Is that even if your players are vastly outpacing? what the book is sometimes it's fine to just leave an encounter as it is because and like that's one of the things that i've been i've been kind of talking about recently is that like i care less and less about cr ratings and levels because i'm more interested to see what the players do Mm -hmm. than what the threat is and whatnot yeah if i have an encounter that i'm like okay the book wants this to be threatening or i want this to be threatening i will throw something in there to do that but it's they could still just like oh uthal's gonna use the hat of disguise change his look go over there start talking to him make persuasion checks so that threat that was even there didn't even matter because my players came up with a different way to go about it Mm mm-hmm it's also so, really fun as a DM to like throw level 10 players at like a hellhound and them all freaking out because they don't know what it is. Even though it's like a CR1 <laughs> creature, they could all just totally take it down. It's like, no, they're still worried. <laughs> I, I, I remember vividly in our Pathfinder first edition game where, and I don't remember why and all this stuff, but we there were fire giants and... All of us were freaking out and we we're like, oh my God, what do we do? Oh man, this is gonna be this is gonna be so bad. And then we ended up killing them in two hits. <laughs> and 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 Ike was just like, Yeah, y'all are fucking level 14. And I was we we're like, oh, right. Okay. We <laughs> And we we were all freaked out about this when it turned out that we we could have just walked in and owned that room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember we circumvented that room so hard for that fear. Yeah, and then it turned out it was fine. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so sometimes just taking it, leaving it as it is, as a DM in pre-written books, is the most fun and appropriate way to go. Because sometimes things 
don't necessarily need to be beefed up, and especially if there's a reason why that creature is in there. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, like I, um, there was a thing that I talked about in less previously on that happened where there was a big bad guy who was supposed to be this imposing force. So I did beef him up. Mm-hmm. I didn't exchange his stats. I just increased some numbers. Yeah, that's just all I did. Pay attention um, to the story beats. If it's supposed to be a big fight moment, make it a big fight moment appropriately. Well, like, I'll say, like, I would have been interested to see if they had tried to talk it down. But I wanted to have that kind of backup for I'm like, well, this dude's coming in hot. So let's see, you know, I, I'm going to bump it up because most likely they're going to meet his aggression with aggression. So yeah. may as well be ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that um, having higher level players in a lower level thing is as bad as I see a lot of people make it out to be. Um, I think it's uh, personally for me pretty easy now to do it but i've had some experience now at it yeah um but i i think that you can take a look at it and and figure out where things need to be upped where things need to be added and where things can just be skipped Mm -hmm. because that's another thing that i'm learning is i'm like oh you know for a lot of this i don't really need that in there it's it's a plot point that's there just to get them more experience or whatnot i can actually just kind of get do away with that there's a whole fight just for one of the bad guys to drop a journal to lead a clue to the next thing well instead of skipping the irrelevant fight because they're high enough level just have the journal be found there you go exactly Mm -hmm. something like that um but yeah i i think doing uh starting oh so one of the other things that aaron asked in the email was like starting games at a even higher level. So not even just bringing a group over into a lower level adventure, but starting an adventure at level 15 with a pre-written book or um, going, uh, doing an own, your own homebrew thing with a level 15 group. And we talked about it there with the level 20 thing. I think if you are going to do this, if you're going to start a homebrew at level 15 or anything like that, you you need to do more than just make a character. You should do make a character and study them. <laughs> also, be kind to your DM and give them bullet points about what your character can do. Like That's also true. Because there's paths that you can take in D&D. Granted, they're not like as convoluted as like a Pathfinder system or a different RPG, but there are paths that can seriously change how you play your game Mm -hmm. and like one barbarian can do a thing where another barbarian could totally not do a thing druids are a great example of that too because some druids can turn into this crazy creature some druids can only cast certain spells and it's like depending on what you do level 15 or anything above i would say level 11 is where it gets really different from each individual Mm -hmm. character and they just get more complicated and i mentioned it before but like being able to play at those lower levels gives the DM a chance to understand how your your group plays out their tactics. Because yeah. like you you, the, you go one... in and your your team has a certain setup. Like if this person heals and then this person attacks, this person draws the attention and this person is ranged attacking. And it's like you won't know any of that until you actually go in and play the game. And yeah. so it's like theory all be damned until you actually get into an encounter <laughs> and the DM won't know it either. And so that's why it's it's a little tougher to start it out at a higher level. It's totally doable, but just be 
be totally patient with your DM and give them a heads up of what you're doing. <laughs> Funny enough, I actually have a recommendation for doing this. Ooh, sure. I totally think that you could pick up uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage and start them at level 15 and just run the last couple of levels of the dungeon. And I oh, and yeah. I really think that it could be fine. There's yeah, there's some things that uh call back to earlier levels in it, but you could either just not do those or just explain it to the players. Um because and the reason for this is because it is a dungeon crawl at its core. Mm-hmm. That gives time for exploration where players are learning their characters and the other characters. But then there's other times where there are just straight threats that they need to deal with. So they have time to figure out how their play- characters play in an encounter. So you would say like a pseudo session 0.5 where you actually play like a couple little things. Well, like I, I almost think that Dungeon of the Mad Mage, because it is a dungeon crawl, um, and you're not going through a village and having the chance of murder hoboing and whatnot, um, that you it would give the players a better opportunity to figure out these level 15 characters without having to do, like, okay, you're in a village. Uh, they're under attack by bandits. Oh, God, they're level 15. Uh, they're super bandits. They, they're, they're the monsters from Space Jam that have come to pillage... <laughs> The village, because okay. they you said the because they became monsters suddenly. <laughs> I don't know why that's where my brain went first, but now I want to stat them out. <laughs> yeah, no, that fight went from like okay to holy shit, you need to handle this. <laughs> like, like just imagine these little fifteen characters like in a town, like bandits roll up. They're just like, oh yeah, you think you're gonna be all mean and whatnot? We're gonna stop you. And then they just turn into the monsters, basketball and all. Like, they don't know what to do. Those players are now confused. <laughs> come on and but, slam. Uh, <laughs> come on and slam. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that it, out of any of the books that are out right now, and that may just be because right now, that's the only adventure that goes through those levels. Um, but I think because of the way that the book is set up though, is probably the best opportunity to try and do that if you want to do it. And then you get a really cool fight at the end. So, um, you got anything else for, uh, for this topic? Not really, but, um, I think Aaron also mentioned like about going from level three to four, like all at once. Uh, it's kind of same lines oh, that we've that been hitting part. on. Oh. Yeah. Where it's like. Okay. Um, I have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did Tomb of Annihilation, I actually realized at one point, oh crap, I was supposed to be handing out levels. <laughs> Their level, I think it was that they were level seven and they were supposed to be level 11 when they went into the fight. Oh no. <laughs> and so I told them, I was like, hey, look, I messed up, um, level up to level 11. Yeah. And all of them were like, are you serious? I'm just like, yes, this is my bad. I apologize for it. Um, but go ahead and level up to that. And this is how we'll do the last fight. Um, and it and it actually ran really well, but I also had players who, again, did that level up, but then really looked at what changed in their character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and there there were there were some hiccups in that combat. Um, I don't, I don't wholeheartedly recommend doing it 
just to do it. Yeah. Um, I would say only do it in that sort of situation where you're like, oh, crap, I messed up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because, like, Aaron, you mentioned about how the levels 4, 8, 12, and 16 are the ability score increases and just kind of, like, skipping over those because they don't really do necessarily provide much um, aside from... I see. Yeah, so it's like instead of going from 3 to 4 and then 4 to 5, it's like you go from 3 to 5. And you just get the level four bonuses. I see. And yeah, like one thing I, I will mean... say, especially with Trevor and I, is that at those levels you all you can do more than just get that plus one to something. You could you could get a feat. And yeah, that see that that's can... the thing with me. Those levels are huge for yeah. me. Because I I like I said, nine times out of ten, I'm going for that feat. Yeah. And it's usually something that changes up the way I play that character. More oh, yeah. so than if I get a new ability from my class. Yeah, if so... a cleric picks up Warcaster at level four, their playstyle could drastically change from three to four. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say if you if you are going to do that, Aaron, um I would say that to only offer the ability score increase mm-hmm. because yeah, you could do some things with the feats. Um, and now their character is so drastically different from level three to level five that it's more than just a plus one. Yeah. Yeah. You also get into like, um, essentially leveling up pacing, but we've kind of gone over that before with uh, general campaign pacing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you should, if you're, especially if you're doing it by milestone, so to speak, if you're not doing it by experience, uh, you shouldn't really focus on leveling up by how many sessions you've played of that level. Like if mm-hmm. you have a sense that we've been playing this level for like 10 sessions now and everyone seems to be kind of like going through the motions, maybe it is time for like to spice things up with a level up. But um, generally try to provide a, a story beat in there for that reason, as opposed to just like the players look bored. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's my advice for that aspect. I agree with that. That did make me think of the time that I was uh, out visiting my sister, and all of a sudden she goes, "By the way, are we gonna level up anytime soon? It's yeah. been a while." <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here like my players haven't leveled up in in six months. <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I'm I've been struggling recently. I'm like, okay, should I level up the higher level players anytime soon? And I might do it, but uh, it's. You know, because of what's going on, and everything that I haven't decided. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any other point that I that I terribly missed on on Aaron's email? Because I feel bad that I, I, I forgot that one. I don't think so. I think we pretty much Aaron, covered all the other Aaron, if we missed it, bits. I apologize. Uh, send us another email uh, and uh, and let us know what we didn't cover, or if you need some more clarification on something. And we might talk to you through email, or we might do a follow up for this uh, mm-hmm. topic. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you for sending that in. We really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well. That was our show for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, still the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice, as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, just like Aaron's was, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can certainly follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So until next week, have a good game. Thank you.